Hello, one and all, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is the 18th of May of 2022, and it's time for Manga Talk. It's 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 friends, Nick and Queen here to talk about. I'm turning to Randy Newman. Ah! I was curious where this bit was going. Like, and I'm going to be there to sing you a song. Deku is talking to his friend. His friend's got a big fiery X on his chest. And I mean, it's about as sexy as a human song. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to beat up my brother. And then the, the, the other dude who blows up is there. Randy Newman, do you have a song about Undead Unlocked? Well, Andy is the talking to his person in his head. <laughs> Just keep. <laughs> Like, do any of your songs rhyme? Take it what he sees. Just that, that's it. <laughs> Connie wants to participate in the thing. Oh, thank you for the award. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just sets you at ease, and it's about what you're watching. Yeah, it just gives you just gives you the comfort of knowing exactly what's ahead. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, this is a. a Oh, are you right? Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I have a very minor story to share. Uh, I did uh, a 5K over the weekend. This is Ooh. the first time I've run in, in a while, uh, and I hurt myself. Not doing the 5K, I hurt myself gardening and watering a plant and standing up wrong, and I fucked up my knee and jammed it. <laughs> I'm like, what has happened? <laughs> is this what I've become? <laughs> That's the weird thing about like physical exertion, isn't it? It's like, oh, here's the thing that like I push my body to its limit, my, its absolute limit in this tremendous feat of physical fitness and endurance. As a and oh well, I I bent my arm at just like one degree off of the proper angle, and now it's fucked for the next five days. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plus side. I'm not quite at the point where it's like it'll just be like this forever. Hopefully, I mean, knock on wood. But it is one of those things that just like, ah, time to, it's really like that SpongeBob joke, like time to water my spice garden. They're like, ow, oof, oof. I don't think I even remember that one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the uh, Weenie Hut Jr. episode. He's like, I'll have you know, I stubbed my toe watering my spice garden and I only uh, cried for 15 minutes. Right. Okay. <laughs> Spice Garden. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those great. So, <laughs> SpongeBob really was on on fire in those like two or three seasons. Oh boy. Um. So, I, I I've got to tell you guys something. Um, in terms of the content that we're going to be going over today, we're going to be beginning and ending the show talking about. A long built up battle between two people involving the hero punching the on fire villain and defeating them. And uh, one of them has gotten a lot more attention than the others. <laughs> so let's talk about them. Let's do it. Uh, we're going to kick things off with My Hero Academia. It's chapter number 352. 
which I think is one of those things where like, we're going to put the chapter title at the end so that Nick looks like an idiot when he's trying to recite the title. Oh, well, it's not here. So Nick is the good chapter title. Where is it at? There it is. I was just, I just wasn't scrolled down enough. It's ultimate moves. He found the chapter title. Now he's going to talk about the manga. Look at that. All the boys are naked. (laughs) I don't like this song anymore, Mr. Newman. Mr. Newman, I'd like to ask you to stop singing this song, please. (laughs) So we start the chapter on a flashback with um, the boys of Class 1A. They're getting into the baths. Uh, and Deku chooses this moment above any other to talk to Todoroki about like, oh, I can't believe you've got to fight your brother possibly to the death. And meanwhile, in the background, Ida's telling everyone like, let's all bathe really quickly because he's he's like that. I mean, that's, honestly, I, I think if I needed to like sum up Ida's character to someone who had never heard of the series in about like, you know, five seconds, like, well, uh, he once told his classmates to finish bathing within 30 minutes like that. that that's yeah so he's punctual uh, yeah he is um also it's easy it's easy enough for Ida to say that he's you know he's got super speed so he'll just you know <laughs> Todoroki uh says that clarifies that he asked to fight Dobby and instead of having his father take care of it and he says look you know Dobby is my family's crime, my family's responsibility. And besides, in order to reach the heights that I'm aiming for, I can't run from this. This new move of mine will get me past that wall to those heights. He's like, all right, it's a weird place to put your focus right now, considering, you know, the giant family drama going on. I was like, but this super new move will will also give me mega points and level me up. All right. Whatever. Uh, and he starts to go into explaining how his move works while he demonstrates it. He summons the X of flame across his chest. And Kaminari, being a big old idiot, is just like, look, I can poke it and it's not hot. You know, OK, sure. Sure. It's a good thing you were right. Um, <laughs> well, he's, he's shown this off before. To the classmates, just Deku has. I guess it. so. Yeah, because Deku's busy. I don't know, well, so. Deku was had left the school. Ah, uh, it's true. Yeah. So I this guess. this happened to me. That's, that the that's last why Kaminari's was... being an idiot. He's seen this before and being like, "See, you can poke it; it doesn't hurt." Do you think that he also demonstrated this in the bath before? Maybe. I mean, he's not. He's, a, like, he's not technically demonstrating it in the bath right now. <laughs> Do you think he was just like he just like dropped trow and was like, "All right, everyone, now that our dicks are hanging out." <laughs> Check out what I can do. You're not even in the water. He's just, hey guys, check this out. Pulls down his pants and then lights up his fire. He's like, oh, sorry, I realize now the, the first part of this made it sound like I was trying to show you something else. No, please stop staring at my penis. Look at my cool special move. Uh, he also goes on to say that he can, um, he has elevated his ability so that he can use both sides of his body at the same time. My heart is central to making both hot and cold manifest. I can cycle heated and chilled blood throughout to create stability inside my body, which. All right. He can control his heart. Okay. (laughs) Whatever. Look, he's got, he's got ice and fire powers. He has cold flame powers now. Okay, fine. (laughs) But um, 
Uh, he also says that, you know, this is taking a direct, different direction for what Endeavor kind of intended with his genetic experimenting and stuff. His father sought out to have ice that would stifle the inner heat. I'm going the other direction. Fair enough. And uh, but he says after summing all this up to Deku, hey, this is my power. Thank you. Which calls way back to like chapter 30 or something. Mm-hmm. When they fought and Deku t- told him, you know, this is your power. It's not your father's. And now it seems like he's finally, you know, put pulled all that together. And we cut forward to the present where Todoroki is unleashing his combined hot and cold abilities together in these cold flames and is seemingly cooling Dobby's fire. Uh, and Dobby is pushed back. And he's like, oh, so he can withstand my heat now and he can chill my Inferno. Fine. I'm going to set more stuff on fire now. Uh, And he just talks about how they've ended up different. And as Dobby gets set to charge forward and set more and more things on fire, uh, Turoki's flame suddenly snuffs out uh, because it's a new ability. He hasn't completely mastered it. He loses control of it easily. Uh, And Dobby starts ranting about how the two of them represent the limitations of superpowered society, which I mean, I get how he is. I don't quite get what how Shoto is, but okay. Uh, and he basically makes like a bunch of volcanic eruptions happen by projecting his flames through the ground and demands that Shoto burn to ash. Uh, but Endeavor's sidekicks seem to get in the way there's a lot of detail on these panels and it's hard to tell what's going on at times in this fight uh yeah because there's so much the art is difficult to see at times and this is this is sort of a horikoshi thing his art style is very distinct it's very cool um i would say effects like this though sometimes become very difficult to read um the first panel the icebound crash and everything I also was like, are there, are they both attacking each other? Like, right. like I couldn't, like, it's difficult to tell whose fire is whose. This is something that'll be, I think, a lot cleaner when it's animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this version, it's a little hard to read all of the action. Yeah, you've got, when it's, you know, Dobby will have, like, the blue flames, and Shoto will have, you know, orange or, hell, maybe, like, white flames or something. Yeah. You know, it's because it's cold or whatever. Yeah. Uh... But anyway, Endeavor sidekicks, they're basically knocked out of commission from this. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. They'll be fine. Blazing. That's her name. Yes. Okay. No, no. Burn it. Burn it. Burn it. Yeah. And the others. Centipede. Is that and a the person? Others. No, no, no. I <laughs> tried. Uh, also, Shoto even gets burned by this. That's how hot the flames are. The Dobby has summoned. Uh, but, and he apologizes for the psychics getting hurt on his behalf, but they're like, oh, whatever, just do it, do your thing. Uh, so he thinks about how he has gotten to this point now and how he has been on this long path towards reaching the point where he is now held back by his past with his abusive father and everything involving his family. And then as he imagines himself on this path, he looks ahead and he sees all of his classmates all way ahead of him. But when he looks towards them, 
they're actually waiting for him and beckoning him on to join them. And he thinks to himself how, you know, class A never left anyone behind. They were always there to reassure me. And in the now he builds up his energy and we get the words of the greatest instructor in the history of My Hero Academia. That one master of heroism that we can always look to to say the wisest words. Mount Lady. Hey, at least this one wasn't like... Come on, girls, push it out a little bit if you want yeah. to get a good job. It's not her butt <laughs> this, speak. Okay. This, this one's actually like, in a manga battle manga sense, good advice. Right. It's the thing that she said to the class, and largely Shoto at the time, if I remember correctly, your ultimate moves symbolize you. Through those moves, people learn what you're capable of. And Shoto dashes forward and plants his palm directly in Dobby's chest and says, we're going to mingle whether you like it or not. So just stop it already. And he unleashes a giant white flame that goes through Dobby and blasts away the area behind him in a great glacial ager, which burns and freezes everything and when the dust settles, we see that like buildings in the background have been frozen over by this. And we also get a brief image of as if a young Shoto has just hit a young Toyo with this ability too. So this seems like it should be the end of this fight. Like I, in in I, unless it's Ida's, like he gets back up and it's Ida's time to shine. Yeah, really. He's like, like I it, just kicked him really hard. <laughs> This feels like if this proceeds any further, it's like, no, no, you 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 called the finish at the wrong time. That yeah. was the high point. You should have just pinned him there. I don't know why you had to get up at two and then give him a power bomb and then pin him. Like it's just... Well, I had to get I had to get all my stuff in. <laughs> uh I like the actual end of this a lot. Like I think this is a cool visual at the end where he's just basically frozen an entire like city block. Uh, and I do like the little touch of like, as the, the hit happens, you see the two of them as kids. It's a very sweet little moment, you know, and it's, it's Toya looking sad about it too. Like, yeah. this is not like, it's, it's, it's definitely like the grief kind of coming in and in, in the connection there. And I like that a lot. Um, as for like the whole chapter, I'm actually kind of surprised this happened here. I thought we it were gonna seems kind of, a little early. I yeah. thought we were gonna kind of build up all these side fights and then like start to like really hammer them in at one point. But as I said, like I can't see any more real like maybe Dobby doing like getting up and just kind of sacrificing himself and like a big explosion or something. Like I, I like that's the only thing I can even remotely see happening because I'm like yeah this has to kind of be like the climax of that. So it is a little bit interesting. I'm curious to see if they do do anything there. Because I was kind of hoping Ida would have a role, and this is the fight he was at, so... Yeah, maybe. they've got teleport. They've got, like, you know, he, he runs fast. Maybe I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, maybe he lifts up, maybe he lifts up uh, Toya and just fucking runs him somewhere really, really fast or something like that. I don't know. Uh, all right. Well, from the end of one fight to um, the end of another. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this one also seems quite conclusive. Let's talk about Undead Unluck, number 110, God of Death. Bless you. That's not uh, foreboded at all. So 
We uh, opened where the chapter left last time, where Andy has been struck in the head by Rip. Lotla was sacrificed in it, and she's just like, don't we worry, Leela, your dashing prince is coming to save you. And we cut in on Andy, who has seen sort of the, this touching goodbye between Lotla and Rip, who is who's run over to her to tend to her in her last moments. And Victor shows up. And he just says, are you just going to let them win? Because, like, if you admit defeat at this point, the points will transfer to them. Rip will go through the loop, and that'll save Layla. But if you swap with me now, we can most likely deactivate Unrepair because I'm not the original target. However, is your version, your vision of justice great enough for the task? And he's like, what, you mean my vision of justice? He says, yes. Whenever people need to make major decisions, follow the path their justice shows them. Granted, I'm just parodying what Juez would tell me. For those two, their decision is a simple one. All they want is to save a lone woman by their own hands. And therein lies an unwavering vision of justice. And if you don't have a vision capable of trumping that, then you can forget about it. And he cuts him off and says, nope, I'm the same as them. Exactly the same. I want to see the person I love laughing and smiling. But then he brings up a very good point where he's like, but with Fuko, it's very difficult because if anything bad were to happen to someone she knows, then she'd never be able to genuinely laugh or smile. And she cares about these two. So for Fuko to really succeed, they need to succeed as well. If I let them both go, then I won't be able to stop the end of the world. And even if they do manage to save one person, the next Ragnarok will be waiting around the corner and everyone will be doomed. So Victor's like, all right, then there's only one solution. Let Fuko ride the Ark and go through the loop. And then Juez, Billy, uh, Rip's groups. This one blew my mind. He says, Gina and Void, both of whom you killed. This loop has seen its far share of tragedy. And I like it because we see a collage of these different characters and we have Void in there, and there's no pertinent emotional scene for Void. It's him talking about his fucking bullets and bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> there was no, like, Void, like, no, the tragedy or anything like that. He's just right there. Uh, but Victor is like, that's why you need the loop with the two keys to slaying God. Undead and unlucked to prevent all of the tragedies that have occurred in this loop and rebuild the union. And Andy's like, so you're telling me to give up on this loop he's like yeah and if you try to convince rip you won't his words your words won't stop him in order to truly save them you have to stop them right here right now are you prepared to carry on the fate of the world on your shoulders and he's like yeah absolutely i'll save everybody and to accomplish that goal i'll become a god of death if i have to me and I just don't know. <laughs> so we cut over to, to Rip, who's just like, Lala, I did it. We managed to beat Undead, thanks to you. And now we're gonna we're gonna save Lala and everything. I'm gonna ride the ark and pick you up. Oh man, I hope nobody comes and kicks this puppy. <laughs> And, and Lotla's just dying slowly, being like, don't worry, the next time we meet, I, I won't be seeing you with all these hideous things on your body. And Rip's like, right, got it. And then he senses Andy standing up behind him. 
And it's so sad because he says, don't you worry. You can rest easy. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And Lotla's just like, okie dokie. And he stands up <laughs> and Victor slash Andy just destroys Rip. Just immediately shatters his arms. He just like punches his... them off. Like, yeah. And this is all juxtaposed by a small scene showing Rip first taking off his arm and then later Lotla crying upon seeing that he's done it to his legs as well, it looks like. And Andy goes back, does his dead end road or whatever, and presumably just kills Rip or at least completely defeats him using his blood. And Lotla just is crying because she knows like shit, it didn't work. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's brutal. Um someone pointed out to me in the Discord that if you go all the way back to the autumn arc, uh unknown said something to rip along the extent of uh, you, yeah. you will cost Lotla's life in attempt to gain something that you will fail to gain or something like that. So it looks like it looks like her, uh, their visions are, <laughs> are spot on. Their predictions yeah. are pretty good. But uh, yeah, there are so many good details in this sequence. Like I, I love that we start off on this buildup and then as soon as we get out of it, we just go from zero to 60 immediately. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to we're going to see, you know, a, a turnaround here. It's like, oh, yeah, but you have no idea how hard it's going to turn around. <laughs> it is brutal. Like, one, it's kind of horrifying in a way because it almost kind of turns Andy into like a horror movie monster. Oh, it's absolutely. Like, Look, he's, he's like he is like Jason in this. Yeah, moment. He's like, I'm going to have to kill you. Probably going to have to kill a couple other people. But you don't understand. It is for the good of everybody that I get to do this loop. And I also love, and I've been kind of thinking about this too, the detail that it's like Foucault has to do the loop. Because she, more than anybody, one, they need her in the next loop as well. But they need her knowledge, I think, of everything and her ability to care mm -hmm. about things as much to see like, okay, how can we stop these tragedies from happening, hopefully? Like it, 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 it seems like something that'd be really cool to see. Um, but I almost want to see what Foucault does when this happens, because like if Andy just fucking murders Rip here, she's going to be a little upset. Yeah, I uh, think I so. Imagine. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. It's, it's an awesome moment, though. It's straight up just yeah. fucking ruthless. Yeah, I love that. Like, you don't see really any of the quote unquote fight at all. You just see Rip getting his ass kicked, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first thing you see as soon as they come to blows is Rip's arm's been destroyed. And then you see him trying to do a kick, but then immediately, oh, Rip's legs have been destroyed. Yeah. And now he's being blasted through the floor. <laughs> and yeah, like, you know, Lotla crying. And I, I honestly love Rip just screaming, damn it. Like, because yeah. that's all he can do. Like, yeah. he, he's you know, the under, that utter feeling of powerlessness. Like, and he just knows that he's failed. And that's just it. It's heart wrenching. And also, I really, really like the when he's holding Lala and he knows that she's dying and, you know, he thinks that things are going to be OK. Slash, he knows things are not going to be OK. It's hard to tell when the switch actually happens. Um, he when because of his eye, when he's crying, it's, you know, his eye is ruined and there's just this blood streaming down from it. And it's, you know, one of those reminders of like, oh, this is how badly this guy's been messed up through oh. everything 
through all of this and all that he's had to put up with in trying to accomplish his goals. And now it's just all for nothing. And that's sad. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 if you wanted also people to be like, OK, we're doing it for these guys sake, too. It's like, yeah, I hope you do it because, geez, <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of fucking them over real big time at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome chapter. All right. Uh, where do we go from here? Is I believe it... it's Kaiju number eight. All right. Kaiju number eight. Chapter boy, six. Friends, boy, friends, boy, friends. Yep. So <laughs> Reno is unleashing more and more ice powers from the from the super Kaiju. Uh, and he's just just thinking to himself, I need more power. I need more power to do this. Uh, but He's dealt a big blow to the Ponju, but it's 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 in its second phase. It's it's just stronger now. You've got to you've got to you know relearn its attack sequences. Uh, but as he rushes forward, Reno is thinking to himself, "If I had been stronger, then Kafka wouldn't have gotten hurt. Iharu wouldn't have gotten hurt. So I have to do this." And he blasts his way forward as the Hanju unleashes a breath attack at him and he launches off with such speed that it's started to damage the muscles in his legs. Oh, just like me in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> so um at first like the the analysts are all like, "Oh man, he's so fast and the, and he and he's destroyed the enemy's unorgan." Uh but they start to realize, like, oh, oh, no, his, his blood pressure's rising. He's got muscle tears in six locations. He's pushing himself too hard. He can't hold up. Is Kaiju number six causing him to lose control of himself? And the captain says, no, it's not. What you're seeing is just Ichikawa. See, when numbers, weapons, users sync with the massive energies and cells of a daikaiju it triggers stimulation in their brains causing a spike in their neurotransmitter levels and transmission rate as a result their basic human nature and desires bubble to the surface depending on their personality the impulse is strong enough to destroy their own bodies so yes it's the kaiju but i see what he's trying to yeah. say <laughs> Who's the true enemy here? So, you know, the scientist is like, oh, but this never happened during his training. Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, but the battlefield is unpredictable. Basically, he's in an actual real world situation. So, uh, yeah, of course, we tend to see this just in tests. Uh, and he thinks to himself, like, yeah, you know, if he if he can't control himself, then I'm not going to be able to authorize the use of this weapon. But Reno's thinking about the same thing. And it's like, yeah, I've got to do this. I've got to, you know, master this weapon. And we see that Reno's like locked inside of himself right now in, in his own mind. He realized like something's something's wrong. And he's got like he's got that impulse. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. But he also realizes my entire body is in pain. But I, I can't even control my own thoughts. I just have this need for more power. Uh, and it's starting to even like take over his mind as like, you know, his mental the image of himself in his mind, it starts to have this dark cloud kind of creeping across his skin. So he's unleashing more and more giant waves of ice. Uh, people are like, oh man, he's attacking more indiscriminately now. Uh, and people can't even get to him to help now because of all these waves of ice that he's summoning. 
And the captain thinks like, is, is he just trying to just do all this by himself to the point that he's rejecting outside help? His sense of responsibility is unreal, which is possibly the lamest possible thing you could have described as unreal. But... <laughs> Oh, his sense of tidiness is unreal. <laughs> his appreciation for wine is unreal. <laughs> uh, Reno is like his power is paying dividends. Like the, the Hanju's regeneration is being outpaced by the amount of ice that's being summoned. Its body is being frozen over. But of course, Reno's body is just suffering more and more. He's now got 16 uh, muscle tears and four hairline fractures in his bones. Yay. That sounds pretty bad. That sounds like that might actually be worse than my injury. <laughs> uh, and eventually Reno lands heavily on the ground and his leg just completely gives out under him. And he's still he's his expression is still like, I'm going to kill everything. But he's looking back at his ankle and knee are at an odd angle uh, because his tibia is fractured. So that's not good. That's very, very bad. Uh and the captain's like, well, he's he's failed. This is this is no good. I mean, he he communicates with him and says, look, Ichikawa, look, it's the end of the line. We're gonna move in and, and neutralize it. And he starts to issue orders. Uh, and Reno just feels devastated by this. Mm-hmm. Now he's not even thinking about like how his body is beaten up or killing this thing. He's just thinking to himself, I'm no, I'm going to lose again. I'm so weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. I can't save even a single person. And Iharu comes crashing through the ice to save his boyfriend. <laughs> and he's shouting out his name. And everyone's like, wait, what? The, what, what what's going on? What? <laughs> and Iharu gets on the communicator, radios Captain Ogata and says, please give Reno and me a little more time, please. And everyone's like, but that area is not safe right now. You've got to evacuate. But oh, he jumps over a thing of ice in the way. Oh, he hurdles over it. He's running through it. He's fine. Um, and the captain is shocked by this. He's like, um, what's that guy's unleashed combat power again? And she says that's 24% on record. He's like, he's performing at that level with 24%, which... Honestly, like I, I don't think we've gotten a very good grasp of like what power levels are in this series yet for you to actually have to have yeah. any meaning. <laughs> so. I guess it's saying like, oh, he's only unlocked twenty four percent of his full potential, and he could go even higher. I guess maybe. And Iharu starts, you know, going on over the radio while talking around us about how awesome Reno is. He's like, he's a really hard worker. He's incredible, and he's so incredible it's hard not to envy him. And I swear. He'll get the job done. And he puts his fingers between two things of ice and starts pulling them apart. And he shouts out, ain't that right? And he breaks through the ice and goes to see Reno. And he appears in Reno's mental vision, extending a hand. Aww. Nick, last week he talked about how somebody just ran past him. And now he ran to him. To him. Isn't this great? This like, is very like, nice. I feel like I just know these two. I'm I I've started to put together <laughs> a top ten list of top ten couples who are gay in manga, no matter what they say. <laughs> and I feel like this needs to be a very high one because they won't make these two gay, but they're a hundred percent gay. 
like a hundred percent gay characters. Like, like I don't think you could convince me otherwise. Yep. Well, uh, we'll see how long it takes for one of them to just get a you know a a, a random female love interest that isn't convincing at all. Like, yeah. Andy shows up. He's like, I've seen you, horror. You've always had your eyes on. You don't know any female characters in Kaiju Number Eight, do you? Uh, there's Kikoru, but I'll, I. I I guess I do want someone to get paired up with Kikoru that's not Kafka because then that can just, end that <laughs> concern. Just, just, put a, just put a little bit of insurance on that one. Yeah. It's like, let's, let's just cover that. You know, let's, let's cordon that, that off yeah. so we don't have that one. <laughs> uh, there is another female character that they shown in like background shots. I don't know if she has a name, though. But yeah, there was another female agent officer of importance in their original unit yes mm. but i don't remember her name either so so that's what i think we're going for putting aside the only one eighth joking uh these guys are gay and it's very cute uh stuff this is a really nice moment just mm. in terms of like all shonen friendship kind of thing yes. uh and it's really nice to see this used also to develop a character that has had very little development prior to the story arc so yeah it's really I nice think- Reno and Iharu have both come out of this story stronger. Like I do love seeing Iharu or uh, Reno's desperation hit a breaking point where he's just collapsed completely. He's hearing all of his future plans kind of go down around him because he just kept pushing himself too hard and it you know, started to fail. And then Iharu coming in as this supportive friend who's always going to be there like, hey, let's do this. Like, don't you give up? You know, it's, it's nice. It's very sweet. Basically, Reno now has his own Reno. And I think that's a little, that's very nice. Yeah. All right. All let's right. talk about another combat series uh, and friendship. Although this one, the friendship is sad because people die. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so last chapter of Spy Family ended with Twilight uh, encountering Frankie for the first time. We were like, is oh, this Frankie. Yeah. Is it? Because it doesn't like the way this ends seems to suggest it's not. He's got the glasses. He's got the hair. But uh, I guess we need like another flashback to show like eventually Lloyd meets him again. It's like, hey, you're that asshole. I gave a cigarette. Abandoned me. (laughs) Um, So we get clarification that you know so twilight is is part of the westalis military at this point frankie is an Astanian soldier but he is he's a deserter at this point so you know he's like no please don't kill me please don't shoot me uh can you can i have something to eat please and uh he and eventually you know twilight's just like i'm just gonna shoot you but eventually he's like please i don't want to die having never been with a woman like, and twice just so like like what the hell what's with this guy and he's like all right like I'll, I'll give you like a cigarette okay um and oh, cigarette. he just i wanted a snickers yeah <laughs> he just turns into a really likable person <laughs> sorry i get weird and incelly when, I, when i'm hungry <laughs> so we basically just get this conversation where twilight is kind of forced to realize that oh i guess not everyone on the other side of this war is a complete monster like i've been letting myself believe so that it would be easy for me to kill all of them in my giant revenge 
uh, crusade. And uh, Frankie tries to put a spin on this by being like, you know, there's been this experiment where they show like how easy it is to kind of get people to be okay with violence against others. They, you know, they show this image of like a woman slapping a guy and a lot of people were, you know, were like, Oh, what the hell? Why'd she slap him? But then they did the experiment again. And then, the, and this time they told the participants, Oh, this guy cheated on his wife and everyone was a lot more pleased by seeing him get slapped. And it's like, did they have any reason to actually believe what they were told, you know, but they just kind of bought into it and suddenly they were a lot more okay with that kind of violence being inflicted. And so it's, you know, it's a very broad way of explaining like, yeah, this is just how easy it is to be lied to and believe that it's okay to kill each other. And that's, Mm. that's it. And, uh, you know, they kind of wax philosophical a little bit about this until twilight's like, yeah, but you guys started the war. And Frankie says, yeah, but my side says that the West started it. They say that the bombings against the West were just false flag operations to justify the war. And Twilight gets pissed off about this because, of course, you know, in those initial attacks, he lost his friends and family. So it's it's a bit of a literal trigger for him. And so he's like, "You should, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. He puts a gun at him. He starts stomping away at Frankie. He's like, this is all your side's fault. You took my world away and he's going to kill them. And he's like, I've done all this. I've done all these horrible, evil things because I have to pay back everything that's happened to me to avenge these deaths. But as he's thinking that uh, a bullet hits him in the helmet and knocks him to the ground because as it turns out, Frankie's been being pursued because he is a deserter. So the Estanians find the both. They're both enemies. And so Frankie's like, well, bye. And he runs off into the woods and uh, Twilight has to escape as well. And that's the last we see of them, uh, you know, bounce off each other for the entire rest of the chapter. And there's quite a bit more of the chapter left after that point. That's really just a footnote in the much broader story that that happens which, like, if you take this out, it's like the, the entire real story loses nothing, really, except to just know, like, oh, so Twilight and Frankie met during his time as a soldier. That's it. Yeah, that's the so. thing. I was like, the end of it, I guess we're going to get more of a flashback later on. And, like, this is, like, sort of a setup to that. But I did, like, end the chapter thinking I was like, oh, maybe that wasn't supposed to be Frankie. Maybe that was just supposed to be someone else. Because the way they're the way they part with each other would seem to indicate like, Oh, Lloyd's like, this dude sucks. Fuck him. (laughs) I hate this dude. But I guess if he's a deserter, then they do pick him up at some point or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as a result of being shot in the helmet, twilight of course is, you know, injured and he's taken off of the front lines. We see him later on, you know, chilling out in a, in a reserve camp, uh, and he's got, you know, his eye is bandaged up. Like he is clearly not in fighting condition right now. And as a result of being in this place, he runs into his friends again. The friends that he thought died in the initial attack at the warehouse. Uh, and they, they all recognize him and they are like, Oh my God, we thought you were dead. And twilight starts to cry because he's thought they've been dead this whole time. And he's blamed himself because he was the one who found the warehouse for them to play in. So he's kind of carried that guilt of I'm the reason that they were there when the bomb hit. But as it turned out that when he ran off, they all kind of went to find him. And so they weren't there when the bomb hit the warehouse. So they're all, they're all fine. 
uh, and they catch up a little bit. They learn that he actually outranks them, uh, and he's a sergeant instead of that. And and so they're like, oh man, I can't believe this. And 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 Twilight just says, look, I don't, I don't care about ranks and all that stuff. Look, I just want to hang out with you guys again. Can can we do that again? Are you are you free? We could go to a restaurant. And they say, oh, we'd love to, but we're, we're, our squad's actually being deployed tonight. Uh, we're being mobilized. Um, they overhear someone refer to Twilight by his current cover name of Roland. And they're like, what? That's not your name. He's like, ah, it's a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so they say, OK, yeah, well, you know, when we get back, you know, we'll, we'll let you know and we can hang out. And they wave goodbye. And they die on the mission. <laughs> Oh, oh, I was so angry. I was like, oh, his friends are back. And they're like, no, no, they, they but they do still die. <laughs> I was like, well, now I'm just sad again. <laughs> and the lesson that Twilight takes from this is the operation that they were assigned to was really, really badly designed and, and just ill conceived. And as a result of that, his friends died. And so it kind of occurs to him, like, if I had known how badly the operation was designed, could I have told them about it? Could I have stopped them? How could I have, you know, stopped the whole operation and had us go on a better plan or something? But I didn't have that sort of power. And I didn't know how to get that sort of power. I didn't know anything. I didn't know the real reason the war had started. I thought there wouldn't be a war at all. I'd been convinced they'd all died in the bombing. And I hated the enemy without knowing why. And I picked up a gun without knowing why. And I obeyed my country without knowing why. Ignorance isn't bliss. It's weakness. It's a sin. So information is very important. And, I'm a, and that's why he becomes a spy, basically. <laughs> but uh, and then we kind of get a whole thing. There's a guy that he meets who is in a, no, no, I'm not important at all, trench coat and <laughs> fedora, which makes him very odd. Uh, like this guy looks like Zenigana from from Lupin. He stands out so much among all, all the like just random plainclothes soldiers and stuff yeah. that are there. Uh, and he addresses Twilight by his real name, which is still censored at this point. Like when his friends addressed him, it was still like blacked out because it's still oh no no that you're not allowed to know that. Um, and he introduced himself as being from military intelligence after calling out uh, Twilight on, oh, yeah, you know, you faked your age and faked your name so that you could join the military when you were too young to do so. Uh, and I see that you've got a real talent, but there is a weapon that will suit you way better than any gun, which is information. And he says, like, we there's no nation can you begin without without information, but we're shorthanded, so why don't you lend us one of yours? As in, lend us a hand, but it's a really weird way of phrasing it. But anyway, um, he says, yeah, so join us. Or I'll have you court-martialed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, he says, like, yeah, you'll be there at this place at this time. Twilight goes to it. He meets up with the guy. Uh, and then the guy says... Uh, you got all your stuff that you brought for the barracks, throws it into a barrel fire, goes like, nope, we're leaving that identity behind. Nope, they're tossing away your name and your rank and everything. And Twilight says, well, nobody knows my real name anymore anyway. So I don't care that I have to, you know, leave my identity behind. And for that matter, I don't care about if my country wins this war or not. 
and the information officer's like, well, the, why are you agreeing to do this? And Twilight just thinks about being a kid and playing with his friends again. And he just says, no reason. Aww. So the so the information officer says, come with me, little liar. And hey, he's introduced to uh, his contact. Um, and we just kind of get this, I guess, I don't know, traumatic burst about his training. And then he wakes up because this has all been a dream from the chapter prior to the flashback when he collapsed, when he learned that Anya had a detritus bolt. I did not call that... <laughs> Lloyd passing out from hearing about the tinnitus bolt was going to be the catalyst to getting his flashback. Yeah. <laughs> so Lloyd's awake and he's like, oh, right, right. I'm in this house and uh, this is really weird. Uh, and Anya's like, did you have a bad dream, Papa? And he says, uh, I don't remember. And his visions, his memory of the dream is muzzled the way that, you know, dream memories often are. And Anya pats him on the head and is like, it's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of, which is very adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lloyd says, why was I asleep on the sofa? And Anya says, uh, when you, when you said, I, when I told you I got a tinnitus bolt, you fell down. And then she runs away. <laughs> She's like, oh! <laughs> um, and she apologizes for screwing things up. But Lloyd reflects on what she had told him in full, which was, but you got closer to Damien, right? And he thinks again about his playing with his friends as a kid. And he says, well, then that's a good thing. Friends are important. Cherish them. Aww. I cherish you, Nick. I want you to know Aww, that. I cherish you too, buddy. Thank you. And then Bond's stomach growls. It's time for dinner. Yay! Are we all like that? Bond is all of us. That's a little bow tie. I love that little guy. I love love him so much. Yep. Good chapter. Yep. We're we're through all the traumatic flashbacks and stuff, and we ended on a happy family gathering. Isn't that nice? Yay. Let's move on to Eden Zero, which I'm sure will be just, just as quality. Just as heartwarming. Uh, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter 191, Zombie Nurses. Now, Nick, why would a chapter be called Zombie Nurses? Well, you're just going to have to have, wait and I've, see. I don't know. Um, what nurses do we know about Eden Zero? I guess Sister? Sister's, Could it be? Yeah, Sister's kind of a nurse. Maybe she's I, dead. I, maybe. Maybe she's undead. It yeah. says nurses, though, so it must be multiple. So maybe it's multiple. I don't know. Uh, so we open with Clown, who has teleported Rebecca away. And uh, Happy and Pino are like, oh my god, bring her back, please. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Happy looks really distressed here. I don't know if it's just my version. I can't zoom in at the moment, but he looks like he's... I mean, I guess in his mind, he's like, my world has just been taken from me. Uh, but Clown says, so sorry, but terminating that little girl is not the real purpose of my creation. Tee-hee-hee. Yep. So we cut over, and Shiki follows up by asking Wizard, what's your real goal? Wizard says, I have nothing more to say. Okay, fine. <laughs> here's here's some extra details. He just says, I have lost, but the other dark stars are stronger than I, which is such an unnecessary detail to throw in there, but all right. It's it's I, I feel like someone might have gotten hero the memo of like, dude, if you have Shiki beat this guy that easily, no one's going to think anyone else will lose to the other dark stars. Like, he is the weakest dark yeah. star. 
who for some reason chose to fight one-on-one with the strongest member of their group. Um, so Shiki gets teleported back to the arena, and Mora and Brigadine are still there, and she's like, hey, wait, where are the others? And they're like, oh, they've been sent to other dimensions, and Brigadine's like, to suitable battlefields. Ah, you've vanquished Wizard, and Shiki absorbs his memories through gravity, and we see what presumably Brigadine looked like before. It's him hanging out with, presumably, a version of Valkyrie at one point. He's like, wait, that's Valkyrie's memory. Is that you next to her? And I mean, it's a fair question. I mean, he can't see any of Brigadine's features <laughs> at all, so he might as well ask. <laughs> there is like a small part of me that's like, a little suspect that there's been only like two dark skinned characters in this entire yeah, manga. <laughs> but yeah. we're not gonna get into that. Yeah. We're not gonna even talk about it. Because instead it's just like, oh hey, it's the same thing as Valkyrie. You must have known them. Brigadine's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm her counterpart. Contact between us is not requisite. Uh blah 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 blah. And like, oh, so you both lost your memories or whatever. And he's like, alright, fine. I'm gonna go get I'm gonna go deal with Ziggy. And Brigadine's like, that's not possible. You cannot escape Killer's subdimension program. This is a fight for honor, for yours and for ours. And then Killer's like, you heard him. This is perfect. I was just getting bored. And he teleports Shiki into the game. And he wakes up strapped to a, an operating table. And killer is there is like don't bother trying to struggle you're in an electronic dimension created by me it doesn't matter how so, strong you are i roll this this is such like little kid game logic that's going on here so we had this whole thing where shiki and company had super bondage training so that they could learn to use their ether even if they were bound up and so Shiki ends up in a situation where he's strapped to a table, his limbs are bound. So he starts to unleash his ether because he's done the training so he can do that. And literally the only explanation we get is, no, it doesn't work because you're in my dimension. <laughs> well, I guess Shiki's stuck there. Uh, it doesn't matter that we had the whole thing to say, no, no, it'll be fine if he gets bound, even if he gets tied up. This time, he can't get out of being tied up because yeah. it's special being it's, tied it's, up. He's in another dimension. This guy controls it. So he's like, don't worry, I won't kill you now. I will finish my prey later, but I must first deal with your friend. Perhaps if you're lucky, your Prince Charming will come to save you, my sweet princess, which is a line. And then Shiki imagines being a princess being shaved by Weiss, and it's like, ugh. And I like to think it's not because he feels emasculated by a differing gender role, but that he's like, ugh, Weiss has to save me, gross. What I mean, <laughs> that would be my first instinct about that whole thing is like, why, why does Weiss have to save me? <laughs> why can't it be, be Moskoy? <laughs> um, and also, if I'm going to be in a princess dress, the last person I want to have around me is Weiss because you just know it doesn't matter. It's like he's, he'll see his skirt and he'll act inappropriately towards me. Uh, so. he's, he's the one character who's going to be really weird about it. Uh, we cut over to Weiss who is like, why does this hospital seem so familiar? And a bunch of zombie nurses burst out of the walls and start attacking him. Nick, if you were curious why the title chapter of the title was Zombie Nurses, 
15 pages in, they show up. So don't let it be said this is false advertising. This chapter is called Zombie Nurses. We get them. And they have gigantic tits, which Weiss points out because he goes, Oi, Jeepers Creepers, they're gratuitously sexy. They're also robot zombie nurses. So I feel like the chapter title should have included that as well. Robot Zombie Nurses is a way better title than just Zombie Nurses. So uh, so he runs, he, he uses his ether gear to basically make a giant door in the hallway to save himself. And he's like, wait a minute, I know this hallway. I've seen it before. And he goes into a room and there's his sick mom. And Weiss is like, oi, mom. So we're going to get Weiss having to confront a bit of his past. I have uh, four quick notes I'm going to rattle off here. Okay. Uh, two of them are positive. One, I like the way that Weiss uses his powers to just uh, close a door in front of everyone by like changing stuff around. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I like that we have a first person shooter sequence here where we literally, you know, have one panel sh- showing Weiss's point of view and he's got the gun in the side of the screen. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, three. So Killer says, there's no sense in fighting. Brigandine is a weirdo who finds beauty in that stuff, but not me. I prefer to make sure I finish my prey and to have fun while I do it. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) I don't get distracted by things like finding joy in combat, but I do enjoy slowly peeling and torturing my (laughs) opponent. So, you know, daddy gets his. And uh, four, actually, I have a fifth one. Uh, it'll okay. be a bit of a broader point. My fourth point is uh, Clown made sure to teleport Rebecca away and leave her shoes behind so that she'll be barefoot wherever she so- shows up, which. I mean, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Come on. Why wouldn't he? So the broader point now is that we've seen uh, two examples of the dark stars meeting the shining stars when they were human or whatever, you know, and they met them in their previous life and had their memories erased. Both of them seem to have an indication of a certain vibe existing between the people that appear in the flashbacks. And it makes me think, like, does Hero just like, you know, his throw it in anyway heterosexual romances so much that he's like, well, these two female characters are dead now. So Gotta after the one fact, yeah. I'll give them male love interest. Well, part of me is like, okay, so are we going to confirm that clown had some connection with sister and that uh, brain killer, or whatever has some connection with hermit then as well? Uh, because those two, I guess clown, it could still be up in the air. The killer just seems like an asshole. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, but I guess you could just say that they they've been they've been transformed. That maybe if he remembers, he's like, "All right, I had a a fucking robot girlfriend at one point or whatever." I don't know. I guess he'd probably make him like a gamer dude or some shit like that. It's also a little bit weird because Killer seems more like uh, sisters parallel than Clown does. Because he's, you know, tortured. He's got all the torture stuff and the and the nerd and the on the hospital scene and stuff. Well, Nick, there's a there's a key detail you're forgetting. They're both S's. They, uh, you know, doesn't work otherwise. 
Oh, I got you. Okay, yeah. okay. I got uh-huh. it. Would, they would be incompatible. Right? Yeah. You Someone's got gonna... you got two doms. Someone needs to be the sub. Just doesn't work. Okay. No, no. I'm happy with that. Yeah. yeah. Gross. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. All right. Just because killer's involved in it. <laughs> Chapter, rather, story 13 of Akane Banashi. We get Akane. Uh, I think that this opening shot on the tile page is just unrelated to anything that's happening, but I really like it. You know, she's just like kind of like reciting some stuff to herself. It's cute. So uh, we get a little bit more information about the Karaku Cup, which is the Rakugo competition that Akane is considering uh, taking part in after her teacher uh, gave her the flyer for it. And uh, we get that information via an interview being conducted on television with uh, Arakawa. Uh, and so they, they go through it and, and Isharako says like, oh yes, you know, like uh, the, the limitations we are, were relaxed, uh, recently so that, you know, there, there could be high school participants in addition to there being college vocational participants, because I don't get to observe amateurs very much in, in my position, especially young amateurs. And so I want to see more and more Rakugo. I want to see a wide variety of them. Uh, and the interviewer is like, oh, oh Okay. And then Arakawa just kind of decides to blast through the tension and says, am I, am I not how you imagined I would be? Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. And one chapter after we got, holy shit, this guy is the villain. Look at how evil he is about wanting to perform Rakugo. It just kind of seems like a chill old dude who's really passionate about his art. He's like, yeah, people always think I'm really frightening. But hey, my job is to make people laugh. So come on, relax. Huh. Yeah, I can see why this guy's, you know, popular. I'm sure that as we learn more about him, that the truth will still exist somewhere in between how Akane visualizes him and the image that he currently projects. But I do like that, you know, the first time you get to see him properly, he's just like, oh, hey, how's everyone doing? (laughs) That's it. So. He also says that the reason he has, he has to judge the competition is because he wants to show the younger generation the splendor of Rakugo. And he brings up a very straightforward point, which is, look, a lot of young people aren't into Rakugo and our audience is kind of getting old. They're going to die out. Our profession is going to die out if we don't start getting people who are younger to be into this and to start cultivating a new audience. Uh And then he does start to look a little bit more intense and evil because he's like, look, what future is there in a performance art that doesn't draw in new enthusiasts? There's an overwhelming abundance today of entertainment options. So we've got to ensure that the cultural flame doesn't burn out. And it's an interesting thing because it's like he's talking about a thing that people observe as a problem for many different entertainment mediums, which is there's so much that people have access to. How does any one thing find its audience when there's so much stuff demanding everyone's attention at any one given time? There's this thing that we I see a lot because I you know follow wrestling news and stuff, which is the ratings for Raw are down again. And it's like, yeah, the ratings are constantly going down. It's not necessarily an indication of how well the show is doing because everything's viewership is going down except for like sports. And that's basically it. So it's it's, you know, a very modern thing of like we got to find our audience and we got to keep on growing it. And also this news is being watched on a smartphone. So (laughs) there you go. 
Uh, and it is, uh, what is his name? Greca, I think is his name. The uh, first apprentice that we saw that uh, Akane met. Yes, and I'm going to say yes, you're right. So we'll find out. I think his name is said later in the chapter. So um, she's kind of going over, Akane's going over with him like what he wants to do, which is enter this event. And she says, well, if you want my advice, uh, you should leave. Or you should clean the yard with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he says, like, look, you're going into this. It's an amateur competition. And I know you're not officially joining uh, as an apprentice until next spring. So you're eligible. But I don't know. I mean, like, the reason that you're here is because you want to be a pro. So it sort of makes it seem like you're proclaiming that, oh, I'm not a pro. I'm just an amateur. And I feel like that's a dishonest thing to do. Like, look. I'm not going to make up your mind for you. That's just how I feel about it. And I do think that maybe you'd kind of be turning your back on our master in order to enter this competition. Also, like, why would you want to chat with the show Arakawa? That sounds like torture. Yeah. (laughs) Like this dude blows. Yeah. But Akane says, that's my goal. I want to ask him why he kicked my dad out of the school. So, yeah, fair enough. It's an opportunity for her. Uh, and then she gives him, you know, her thanks because she says, look, I know you're trying to look out for me, but I've got to get going and I'm going to go and ask permission to do this. Uh, and she talks about like, look, it usually takes like a decade to reach the rank of Shinuchi in the Arakawa school. You can be promoted as long as you meet the requirements, regardless of how long you've been around. And there's no guarantee you'll meet those requirements while that man is still working. I might never get another chance like this. So sorry. And she barges past him to go and talk to Master Shigam about this. And she missed herself. Look, I'm not really proud of this. I know it's dishonest, but this is an opportunity I can't let get away. Master Shigama is immediately like, yeah, go ahead and enter. Uh, <laughs> which is, I think, the third time in this series that someone has built up like, oh, man, this is going to be really difficult to ask someone about this. And they're like, yeah, sure, it's fine. So, <laughs> Yeah, why not? Whatever. Get past that. Keep going. Garico. I, I was close. Garico, not Garika. So... Um, and also she was like, yeah, I heard you guys talking outside, so I don't have anything more to add to what he said. Um, and, uh, you know, your mother said the same thing. So there's no point in me trying to stop you from doing what you want to do. However, if you want my permission to enter the cup, I do have one condition. You've got to do Jugemu. You can only do Jugemu in this competition. And we get a very brief explanation about what Jugemu is. I have actually seen this performed because, as they say in this, it is such an insanely well-known routine that even people who aren't familiar with Rakugo hear about this. And it's just that Jugemu is the first part of this child's name that has something like 50 syllables in it. And so the joke is the person, you know, in acting out the scenario, this child gets into different bits of trouble and stuff, and the parents have to say the entire name every single time. And it's like, okay, say this 50-syllable name perfectly in different emotions really quickly every single time. That's the joke. So, as it's equated in this story, if you're told you can only perform Jugemu, it's like, okay, go out and win this boxing, boxing uh, match with just a right straight. Don't use any other punches. It's very limiting. So... Uh oh, that's gonna be tough. I guess I don't know. I've never boxed, uh, so <laughs> I feel like it'd be 
he said to keep punching people straight forward. It's gotta be he's like predictable at some point, right? Like, you know, I just keep going in with the same punch over and over again. But can I trick them? Can I play mind games? Hold on, I'm trying to gain the system. Can I have hidden in my fist a pocket full of sand? <laughs> so I open it with my straight right, and then when they're blinded, I just go bam, 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 and I then I win. I'm gonna say yes, uh, but I'm also going to say that they put the boxing glove on over your hand, so uh... then the sand like is you, 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 the first time you try and throw it, it come, pour, comes pouring out gonna, through the back. I was going to say, it comes back into my eyes. Like, ah, ah. <laughs> and what? then you're like, that guy blinded me. And you win by disqualification. <laughs> yeah, so it's perfect. I had Aguero. And I'm like, he's blinded me. <laughs> Even though there's sand clearly coming out of my box. Yeah. I'm like, ah, he's cheated. Who put this, this sand in my glove? <laughs> yeah. So I kind of agree to these terms. And uh, she goes off to practice. Uh, and while she goes off, Shigama looks down at the brochure and he says, presumably to Arakawa, this isn't your style. You always were a daredevil. Hmm. Ah. Uh, so it kind of goes outside and tells Guriko, yeah, I got permission from him to do it. I just got it, but I've got to perform Jugemu. Uh, I have to do it. And he says like, yeah, well, all right. That is a tough request though. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get a very good reaction because people are so familiar with it. It's not the kind of story people tend to do in a competition. But Akane's like, well, I told him I'd do it, so I'm going to do it. So he says, all right, well, in that case, you should ask Koguma Anisan for help. Because he is the Shigama School's best terakoya, a master of old literary teachings. And we cut over to Koguma, who is the glasses-wearing apprentice that we the have seen before. The nerd this, uh, apprentice. So, hey, we're getting introduced to another one of uh, of, uh, of Akane's Ani-sons. That's, that's cool. I like how we're, we're just kind of like being introduced to them and giving them each a little moments to uh, show what they're about. And I like that, of course, they have their very straightforward expertises. Very shonen. Yep, I like it. Seems like it's going to be cool. Blue box. Let's talk about the blue box, Nick. Chapter number 52. With all 52. the cute little characters doing their cute... I saw, a bug. We... I saw a bug on your screen. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. We've, we've derailed the podcast for about five uh, minutes now as Nick has to find his book. i going to kill this thing. All right. <laughs> Chapter number 52. Of course I want to see it. I want to see that bug when I kill it. Last time, Hina told Jinatsu that she has told Taiki that uh, she has feelings for him. Jinatsu's response, very poker face. Just like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's so. <laughs> So Hina seems a little bit taken aback by this, but she's like, ah, I mean, yeah, you know, I figured like, you know, since you're living with him that I should also let you know so that, you know, avoid like misunderstandings and stuff. I mean, I'm not going to act differently around you. Is that, uh, is that... But Shinatsu kind of interrupts and says, like, actually, I'm, I'm not living with him right now because my grandfather's undergoing surgery. So I'm living with my mom for about the next month. And Hina gets really embarrassed because she's like, oh, then I told you all this for no reason. Uh, well, uh, I hope, you're, I hope, you're, I hope, I hope the, the surgery suck. goes well. Bye! <laughs> um, but as soon as uh, he is out of sight, Shinatsu kind of slumps thoughtfully against the cop here while it's uh, going off. We cut over to Taiki. He's at badminton practice, 
Uh, people say that he seems more relaxed than he has before. He looks a lot more comfortable. And he's like, I mean, I don't really feel that way. I know I'm improving because I score points more easily. I can feel myself getting better, but I still feel like anxious. So I don't get it. Uh, they huddle up and say, learn that they're going to have a practice match this weekend. It's going to be against Sajikawa High School, which includes the one super rookie guy who killed the fuck out of Taiki uh, at, the, at the last uh, tournament. So that's what Taiki's thinking about. Uh, they say, like, look, we've got to beat these guys because we can't get past Sajikawa. We're not going to be able to make it to Nationals. Uh, and... Um, Yoda, uh, so they're, they're thinking about this. Taiki's lost in thought about stuff. Uh, Hina comes to see him afterwards. She's like, oh, you got a practice match on Saturday. Huh? He's like, yeah. But, but, can you like not be like reading your lines off your script while we're, walk, while we're walking? And she says, it's more efficient if I do it this way. <laughs> like, look, I, I know what it's like to multitask. That's, that's my entire life. The idea of doing three, all three of those things at once makes you be like one of these talking happening and reading. Yeah. And walking. <laughs> She's insane. Absolutely. Um, so he just says, hey, well, you know, I, I've got to be at the at school to practice the play. But, uh, but I want to come cheer you on during your game. And he says, well, it's just a practice match. You don't have to do that. He's like, yeah, but it's a, it's a tough opponent. I want, I want, I want, I want I had somebody you've lost to before, and, and I need to, you know, you to, to be emboldened and stuff. And he's like, God, just leave me alone. And I want to see the person I like trying his best. And Doug is like, why'd you have to say that? And he steps around to look at her, and she's kind of blushing. And she's like, Whoa! and she starts to beat him with her script and stuff. It's a little, it's a little cute moment. Yeah. Uh, later on, Chinatsu comes to the court. Taiki is alone in the on the court by himself practicing badman he's up in the air to do a really cool jump serve thing uh and um then he realizes i guess uh how late has gone and he's got to clean stuff up uh and uh so chinatsu you know starts talking with him and uh she's also heard about the match and he's like god everyone knows about this who's anywhere near the gymnasium basically uh, and she says, yeah, I've got practice in the morning. So when I'm done with practice, I'll, I'll come and watch you. And he's like, you have to come. It's like, yeah, but it sounds fun. It's not an official match. You know, and Shinatsu just says in a full page spread, don't really know why, but it's a full page spread of her just like casually, like, you know, adjusting her tennis shoes and stuff. Like, yeah, come on. I, of course I want to see it. I want to see, I want to see it. And then Taiki has this moment where he thinks about what Hina had said about, oh, I want to see the person that I like do, trying his best. And he's like, and then he he can't add up two and two. He can't, he, he, they just, it uh, doesn't quite, uh. so <laughs> he gets a bit lost in thought. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just thinking something weird because of what Hina said and that's it. Um, so he's like, all right, if you want to come, you can come. And Janasa says, yeah, I've got to watch my morning practice buddy when he's being so fearless. And then she like challenges him to a race. And that's how the chapter is. Uh, I like this chapter. It's very cute. Uh, I do like seeing, I like seeing that uh, both the girls are like, all right, we're going to, we're, we're progressing this in our ways. You know, Hina is very upfront, which is like, hey, I like you. I want to go to your game, even though it's just a practice match because it seems really important. And, you know, Chinasu has her own strange way of being like, 
I definitely probably like him, but I don't know how to say it. But like, it's very clear from like how she st- says and does everything. Like, okay, she's pursuing this her own way. I, I do like that. Um, there's a-, a Twitter account I like to follow now that uh, just memes basically all the series saying their own names at points uh, with like movies. So it'll be like, this really was our Toy Story, everybody, or right. whatever. This really was our blue box. I really yeah. wanted them when they were talking. He's like, news really travels around this blue box, so to speak. There is no blue anywhere in this gym. Well, what gym, are you talking the about? The gymnasium itself is blue. Is it? Yeah, that's why. It's, that is why the series is called Blue Box. Is because the gymnasium is it? The gymnasium is blue, and all the story is happening basically around the gymnasium. I did not know that. It's like the first page or whatever of the series. I don't think it's ever come up again since then, but they do mention that. Cool. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I just remembered what series we're covering next. Oh, yeah. All right. (laughs) Still going. Um, Duran, Duran, chapter 22 reunion. I'll say one good thing about this chapter. He's got a shoulder bag on, but he's got no arms. He's on a skateboard and he's got no legs. He's so cool. That's silly. That's that's <laughs> silly. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, uh, there's been a mysterious death. Uh, this guy who was in an, uh, there was this game center. that got attacked by a demon. And oh, shit. Look at this shriveled up old guy. He was 18 years old. What's happened? What's happening with all these corpses and stuff? Hey, Kusanagi, you wouldn't have happened to have met someone who has powers that work this way, would you? Like, we wouldn't happen to have anything that's, like, embedded in your mind by a traumatic event. No? You don't recognize anything? Okay, we're going to get that money on okay. Uh, that's about the first four pages. Uh, 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 now, Tora had a, a meeting with the uh, director, and she got worked up because she's like, I want to work with Dora so they do that um and then uh they go around investigating they don't find anything uh and we see oh a snouted mononoke guy looking through some venetian blinds which if he's like peeling down the venetian vines that means he's inside that building right there that's Uh looking at them okay uh uh then they go to sleep uh and uh kusanagi's in a like a like a blanket cocoon thing but uh, he hears a voice calling out to him. He's going, it's me, Kusanagi. Help me. Help me. And Kusanagi's like, oh, my gosh, he's talking to me with yokai magnetic waves, which I know have been established because we it saw. It just sounds dumb, though, right? It's, 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 it's not well established. You know what I mean? Like, it really feels like it's something that could have used an actual explanation at some point. Now, there's a lot of mechanics that do get detailed in this series, and that just seems like, you know, an important one for, like, how things can happen. So, so, uh, it's the Dosan who clearly has the snout, so, oh no, it's it's the bad guy. And also, we knew Dosan's last name, name in the last chapter, rather, and so, okay, so, uh, he's like, uh, please, I'm in trouble. I, uh, I came out here so I could apologize to you, but Amono can attack me. Please help me. And Kusnagi's like, okay, I'll get Doran. Well, you're right there. No, uh, I can only trust you, Kusnagi. Only you should come. Come alone. With no help. Okay. So. <laughs> I truly, as I read this moment, I was so 
confused in the sequence of events. Because I'll be honest, so I, I only read the chapters this week, maybe like three hours before we actually recorded. I've just been really behind on reading stuff recently. And I I read this chapter, and as I was going through it, I was just like, I'm sorry, why did Kusanagi go alone? And even now, just still can't understand it. Right? Like I was just like, all right, I understand. He's like, like I have a big issue with the fact that Kusanagi, as we find out, is established in the backstory. Is like, I remember when this man murdered my best friend in cold blood. But I'm going to give him another chance in almost look, the exact same scenario. Look, everyone gets along in Dorondororan, okay? Everyone's just friends. So when there's no conflict ever, why would you think that there would be conflict here? So uh, Kusanagi finds Dosan, who he's got, he's got a little bit of ketchup packets munched on to make it look like he's beaten up or something like that. Uh, and he's like, oh, I've been hurt. I'm so glad to see you, Kusnagi. And I'm so sorry for what happened back then. And it turns out Kusnagi had an ugly friend back in the day. Look at that ugly little Mononoke friend that was his friend. And they're like, oh, look, we got some fruit to help make Dosan feel better. Let's bring them to Dosan to make him feel better. And he's like, thank you for this. Yum, yum, yum. Oh, it's not enough. I've got to eat you. <laughs> So he uh, drained Kusnagi's body of energy and only got away because his buddy knocked Kusnagi away in order to save him. And while the life and life blood was being drained from his body, he was shriveling up like a prune. He was like, yeah, boy, Kusnagi, my friend, save your fools. <laughs> so, so two things. One, this hideous thing looks like a pug. So I was actually kind of glad to see it die because pugs are revolting creatures. <laughs> But two, I could not stop laughing as it's like, don't you worry, my dear friend, save yourself. <laughs> and I, I'm like, Nick. yes, this is the exact time for cute speech patterns. As my friend, boys, I was like, Nick, if our situations are like this, I want you to be like, Nick, it hurts so much. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not going to be cool on the way out. <laughs> and Dosan literally said, as Kusanagi was running away, You're next, Kusanagi! You're next! I'll follow Kusanagi. you! No matter whatever tricks I need to pull, I will find you and bring you down. I'll separate you from any human phrase that you have by making up a sob story about how I've been attacked and need your help, and I'll hug you in gratitude, and then I'll eat you. Anyway, so in the present dose, I'm talking Kusanagi. Uh, and that's where the chapter ends. It's, it's such a baffling chapter. I, like, look, I understand. I've heard Golem Hearts essentially was very similar, where it started off kind of okay and then just kind of like fell apart towards the end or whatever. Uh, but this was legitimately like a chapter that, like, as I read it, I was like, <laughs> I just could not comprehend what was happening. Like, Every little bit of it, I was like, okay, I guess fucking Berserker Girl is just a main character now because Jinchio is gone or whatever. And I don't know, she's just not interesting, but whatever. And then, okay, this dude's spying on them. Okay, Kusanagi leaves, not with Dora, whatever. And then we get a flashback of like, hey... I'm Kusanagi, and there was, like, another friendly 
Monoke, and then the elephant guy ate him. He's a monster. But I'm gonna give him one more. <laughs> I know, I know he has knives for hands, but I will go. I'll still let him out because, like, come on, he wouldn't do it twice. Like the old adage is a hundred percent. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, it's on you again. <laughs> We're gonna keep going. And just need a couple more times before I take responsibility. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Come they on. Do it twice. Who would do it twice? Nobody's gonna do this twice. <laughs> <laughs> and he does basically he does almost the exact same thing. He's like, No, I'm sick and weak and need your help. Please come to me. And please get come really to close head. to my life draining trunk. Just put just like when I give you a hug, make sure that you're at the level where I can just kind of turn my head and suck out all of your blood in one go. Please, please, I need your help. Like I'm not even sure like what the story implications are of like why is kusanagi doing this like what is this meant to inform about his character i was like i know that sometimes we joke about characters like Iwega. it's like oh he's so sweet and wants to help people even to like a comical far uh like uh farce end of it uh but i don't know if that's really kusanagi's character being like i know this guy murdered one of my best friends <laughs> but he wouldn't feel... do it a second time come on guys i feel like if ogata just finally snapped and stabbed ruka that yuiga wouldn't be like okay we just need to find another way for you to learn english like you'd be like okay Something else needs to be done here. Like, I think we need to give him that much credit. <laughs> like... I really, I want to see his perspective where he's like, I had a lot of backup plans. I cannot believe this one worked. <laughs> I, really, I can't believe that I was like, you should meet me in the park and let me hug you again. I didn't think that would be enough to get it done. I, I guess I could return all those anvils and zip ties that I purchased <laughs> before. <laughs> Oh, hello, Acme. Yeah, I need to. I need to return a purchase. I think. Oh, let's talk about. Except first, kind of puzzle for you. Yeah, we had to talk about podcasters. Postulate, pretend, something. All right, here we go. I'm not sure about the way this one turned out, but we'll see. Partisan. Chris Jericho. No. <laughs> Partisan okay. practices Paragon's patents is potentially pejorative. Okay. That's a lot. That's so that's a lot of three syllable words right there, so. And I have to admit, this is a bit of a stretch, but We haven't done we've we done Funakai. We've done you've done Funaki. <laughs> Fair. Hmm. Say it one more time. Ferdison practices Paragon's patents is potentially pejorative. Do you want me to, to give you like what I intended these to actually mean? Sure. 
Okay, partisan means fan in this case. Uh, Paragons is like, you know, a hero or someone to aspire to. Patents is signature or a trademark. And uh, pejorative as in the use of a pejorative. Uh, Is it Daniel Bryan? No. Okay. Getting all angry at the fans chanting yes when he's like, no. Oh, interesting. No. Uh, pejorative, in, not in terms of like teasing as insulting. Oh, was it Kurt Angle when he got really excited and everyone started chanting, you suck to his theme song? You're much closer with Kurt Angle than you are with Daniel Bryan, I'll tell you that much. All right. Who got angry when people were mean to him? It's, uh... Is it John Cena? No. Damn. Is it... Try going back to the previous Rene part. Dupree. Burr, 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 burr. You're actually much closer with Rene Dupree than you are with Daniel Bryan. Rene Dupree? How am I closer than, with Than with Daniel Bryan is what I mean. Okay. It's got to be... Is it, it's not anyone from right to censor. No. Uh, you may have stumped me on this one. No, no, Carito Prime. It's or rather Rudor. Sorry, the the names went up. It's not Pajon Pacina. Um, I don't know. I think I might be stumped on this one. Uh, what's a wrestler that would use his hero's finishing moves? Oh, is it um Eugene? And because his gimmick is probably not very well thought out and no. offensive. So, yeah. I For those of you fully unaware of Eugene, uh, in the mid-2000s, they introduced him as a special boy. And uh, that's all you really need to know. Um, because it was A, the mid-2000s, and B... The WWE. So <laughs> it is astonishing how many different levels of problematic that time period was when you go back and you're like, man, it's all over the place. Like mm-hmm. there were weird angles involving women all over the place. The Mexicals came out to the ring riding lawnmowers. lawnmowers. Like you're like, God damn. Vince McMahon said the N-word on television at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this was a very problematic time for wrestling. Yeah, honestly, looking back at all the stuff in the two era, in the periods, like, people talk about it like, oh, the Attitude Era was so edgy. It's like, yeah, but at least they, like, it was an active we are trying to shock people thing, whereas in the Attitude Era, it's like, this is what's cool, right? It's like, no. <laughs> Not anymore. Please stop. <laughs> All right, let's move into the chapter itself. Chapter 32, Mimin. Hey, it's a chapter all about Mimin. Yep. Um, there's some people that we haven't really met talking at the beginning of this, uh, and they essentially just talk about like, so what was with Lucky's performance? I mean, I it was weird. I think he made some mistakes, but the biggest problem was it was the Joyful Island, but it felt like we were drowning. So... I don't know about that. 
it felt like but even though it did feel like we were experiencing it i look forward to what he does in the future so it's like yeah uh and then um (laughs) the puppet um, from the goosebumps book shows up (laughs) this terrifying person (laughs) this character design is horrifying like, if this character showed up in fucking Higurashi or something like that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is an appropriate character design for this. It's like, it's it's the everything. Like, the giant cuffs on the jacket, the hair, the red eyes. Why are the eyes like that? Why are the eyes like that? <laughs> and that fucking smile are like, ah, oh, I'm going to stab you. <laughs> I will feast upon your entrails tonight. Uh, apparently the people that are having this conversation all recognize this person, however, because they go, uh, but we cut out into the lobby, uh, where Mimin is talking while going up the stairs, uh, to Lucky and Furusu and just says, what? You're not going to the final Lucky? Aw, I guess I won't get to hear you play at piano at the Nationals. Aw. Um, but, uh, Lucky's like, hey, um. So that whole thing about how I'd be banished if I lost, um, is that is that is that going to happen now? And then it's like, uh, no, 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 uh, no, no, no. Sorry, Lucky. Sorry, Boing Boing, for all those mean things I said before. Nope. Like just says, I won't do it again. As though yep. like I won't threaten to banish you from this world in yeah. which all of your passion and and purpose in life comes from. <laughs> yep. Anyway, water under the bridge. Uh. Ponytail dude, whose name I still refuse to remember, uh, says, "What did you mean when you said you came to her rescue at the Tokyo? Uh, came to rescue her at the Tokyo final? Are you going to do something to Miloli?" And Mimin says, "I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to show her I'm free." Uh, and we see the finals, and Mimin's like not in like her formal dress or anything. She's just in her usual like skimpy shorts and and tube top. And she just kind of like prances out onto the stage while wearing sandals. She's do 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 do. Happy. Yep. And uh, it says Mimin had chosen to play Liszt's Mephisto waltzes, uh, but instead she played Brahms' Piano Concerto Number no. Two, which immediately is like, okay, so she's disqualified because she knows <laughs> she played something else instead. But she's gotten away with it before, so maybe not. Um, but when she plays, she summons this entire orchestra of fairies, which, of course, all have Miloli's appearance and all of them are dancing and playing I love it different instruments to one, two, uh, two different things here. One, I love her playing because you can see it's just one gigantic arm raised up in the air, which really implies she does like the most dramatic. Like she's just like playing, 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 playing. But she's so skilled. She makes it work. Uh, but two, uh, Nick, tag yourself. Which fairy are you? I am saxophone fairy. Uh, I feel like I because that am... seems like the anxious fairy. Like that feels like the fairy is here, but they're worrying about a couple of things. Like she has a lot on her mind. <laughs> I imagine that I am the leftmost uh, keyboard fairy. Okay. Like I've, I've I've got to focus if I'm going to do this well. I wish, however, I will. I were symbol fairy I was instead. Say, symbol fairy seems like they're having the best time. Does yeah? I don't care that my sleeves are too long. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this. Yeah. Uh, 
And of note, as you know, everyone's watching the performance and, you know, Lucky and Furusu are, you know, surrounded by all these fairies playing instruments and stuff. Aw, there's a little fairy Lucky and a little fairy Furusu. And uh, <laughs> fairy Furusu has bunnies, which is like, yeah, I guess that makes sense that maybe sees her that way. Yeah. And so she's calling her boing boing all the time. And they're kind of like chasing each other around with like a conductor's baton and accordion. And Lucky and Furusu kind of like watch this and they just have a little, they just have a little laugh together. It's very Aww. cute. Um, and Mimin thinks to herself while she's playing, I'm having so much fun. I really do love the piano and I love this piece and I love Elise and Revolution too. I can play on the streets or anywhere as long as I can play freely like this. So today's my farewell to this world. This is the last time, so... I'll make it extra special. I'll perform the version everyone likes, too. And she summons the trees that everyone says are the best version. Uh, and as the trees kind of replace the fairies, she kind of looks out to the audience and I guess looks directly at Mimin. And she says, see ya. Uh, M- Maloli, rather, I should, should say she looks at. And uh, we get narration saying that, you know, while the Hall was filled with the resonance of her forest. Mimin left, weaving through the trees. And this time she is actually disqualified. Um, so, but uh, Maloi is thinking to herself after it's over, like, yeah, she was disqualified and I won first place and she's gone from the classical world. But I feel frustrated and jealous for some reason. She seemed so free and cute and carefree and beautiful. Yeah, like, she's, she's kind of talking about huge prints that expresses how attractive she yeah. finds Mimin. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, but I can feel what happening in this one, Nick. This one, mm, they're gonna do it. Mm, so Maloli thinks to herself, like, I, I, I thought that I'd be happy if she left, but things didn't really turn out that way. Whatever she does, she'll always shine bright in my heart. It's just as Sadame said. Then it's fine. Shine bright, brighter and brighter. Despite your existence, when I'm able to love my own playing, I'll truly be free. And then I'll be happy to have met you. So next time, let's really battle it out. Aww. Also, she's contacting Fanta. Fanta, Fanta, got you, Anna. Yeah. Uh, But it's another Odagami sibling, so. (laughs) Yeah. Great little chapter. Yeah, I, I mean, it. it's awesome, and I like how they're progressive, Molly, and she's not she's not quite there, but she's got to work on herself a little bit too, which is a healthy way to approach a relationship. You know, even when someone does a big gesture, doesn't mean you automatically like a like a movie had to get together. Maybe you got to work on yourself still. Yes, that is all true. And I, and I also just like Mimin's playing, and then at the end being like, I still want to give everyone this great show, so I'll play like they want me to play for a little bit. And it mixes the two of them together, and her eyes are actual piano keys at that point. And I don't know, this series is just so wild with everything it does. Like, there's a scene where they see them in on the steps, and her hair is, like, shooting out in, like, it's, like, eight feet off in different yeah. directions, and you're like, fuck it, man, this series is wild. I don't know why the creepy ventriloquist person is like, hey, where does Lucky go to school? I hate it, but I am like, yes, this feels <laughs> right at home in this series. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird because 
what it is about, which is just, you know, artistic expression is very much like, okay, there's a lot of like kind of sloppiness to the artwork and style of the series itself, but it's very expressive. So it's very appropriate for the kind of content of the story. So, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, I guess, talk a little bit about super smartphone. Um, I don't want to go into the details of this because it's kind of boring. Uh, it's a lot of ex- explanation of like, oh, well, uh, Q's got to earn points by using the Goo app. Uh, and he does this first by just like Googling a random person that he sees on the street and he gets a point for, quote, invading the privacy of the general public. And he's like, why'd you give me points if you're berating me? And then then and Q's like, or Kimmy's rather like, I'm not berating you. Just earn some points. So um, Q is like, all right, well, there's like these conditions that are in place for the app, which are uh, as I earn more points, I'll you know learn the smartphone secrets uh, and stuff. And I can't reveal the secrets to anyone. And I can't relinquish the smartphone, uh, otherwise I'll lose it. Uh, there are other conditions. Also, I lose it if I die. Okay. And there's more information about it that he's not privy to just yet. So he's like, all right, well, I'll earn some points. And while he's just sitting in class, he basically solves a crime just by Googling stuff. Uh, and the phone's like, you earned one point for making a small contribution to society. And he's like, I mean, I just solved a major case, but okay. So he does more Googling and stuff and here's another point and stuff. So he's like, I'm just like randomly cracking cases one after another just by fiddling around on the phone. To which I say, yeah, it's kind of a boring premise, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But he's like, you know, this is actually a really dangerous device. And I wonder, you know, who gave it to me and what I'm expected to do with it. And we do get a little cool kind of story that plays out here, which is that there are some girls who have stolen the phone of another girl and hidden it from her. So Q uses his device to figure out what's going on by basically just looking at a text conversation the two of them have had about it. And so he's like, "Okay, what do I do? And then he realizes, well, the best thing for me to do in this situation is actually nothing, because if I try and interfere uh, then it will potentially like expose myself and not actually cause any benefit. So he just waits and he finds out that the phone has been hidden away in the locker of a guy that the girl who's who it was stolen from likes. And it leads to, you know, a bit of a icebreaker for them to talk to each other. And it turns out the two girls who stole it from her weren't trying to play an awful prank. They were just trying to play matchmaker. Oh, it is an absolutely bizarre sequence that he goes from like, catching wanted criminals and like insidious people to then like oh hey some local girls are are bullying another girl and he's like perhaps i'll get involved and for a moment you're like okay i can see what you're going for here because sometimes the smallest stuff you know local to us is also very important and you know he's looking out for somebody around him and he's turning to care and then that's not how it is at all because he just waits five more seconds and he's like Oh, wait, no, they're actually doing a nice thing. And you're like, I'm sorry. So is he just using his phone to spy on people then? That, <laughs> He's is, <a> creep. <laughs> that is not nearly as, as interesting of a thing for this character to do. Because he even talks about that later on. He's like, I guess I just got to look at a bunch of girls' private messages. And I found that more interesting in cracking cases. Like, well, then you're just a weirdo. You're just a real-ass weirdo. 
Uh, we get a brief cutaway to the Metro Police Station. We're introduced to uh, an officer named Nagi Seomizu, who's like, where the hell are these tips coming from for these these cases? So it seems like uh, they'll be, uh, I don't know, involved in the future somehow. Uh, has to be involved so we can make yeah, sure. Yeah, has got to be involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're even sitting in the chair like like L. Like, I mean, it's... Yeah, come on. Uh, Q uh, gets uh, enough points that he unlocks stage two on Goo And he learns that if he gets 1,200 12, something points, then he'll um, unlock it permanently. Uh, but until then, it's, uh, he's got to have a weekly quota. Uh, so it doesn't fill the week ago, it gets taken away, and he's got to eventually gets it permanently. And then he's like, Wait, um, this means that like I'm not the only smart super phone, smart super smartphone holder, right? 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 That's what's going on, right? And Kimi's like, I can't tell you that, Dave. Uh, so Q's like, oh, but man, uh, this is a really powerful device. And if there are other super phone holders out there, then, you know, how many are there and what kind of things would they use them for? If any of those people are trouble, then the world is in trouble. Um, and then, um, a, 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 a riot breaks out because someone coordinated some rioters and the girls from before are on a they're gonna have a sleepful over pajama party but it's also while the riots going on so maybe they're in danger i don't know anyway that's the chapter so <laughs> nick we're, we still need one more chapter before we can decide if we're gonna keep reading yeah I know, I know i know i went like the first chapter of the series i i was like it has some weird parts to it but i i came away still being like i ultimately kind of like this premise i still wasn't sold on the art but i was like i still kind of like this premise this one, I feel like the premise just immediately nosedived into something. I was like, I guess it is just less interesting Death Note, but I don't get what the protagonist is trying to do right now. It, it The entire chapter just felt like a gigantic waste of time. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Mashal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is what's next. All right, let's talk about Mashal. Magic and Muscles, Chapter 107. Mash, Burn Dead, and Friends, and Training to Go Strong. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so <laughs> we cut to last time where Dot and Lance are fighting Matter Ordell in uh, masterful training. They have to protect three vials of water over like the course of, I think it's like a week. Uh, so... It's going to be tough times, and, and Matt, Dot's talking about how he already lost one because it got destroyed, and he's already kind of gone through one. And he looks over, and Lance still has seemingly a whole bunch, and so much so that he's drinking water, and it's kind of like dribbling down the side of his face. He doesn't even seem to care that much. Like, he, he has water to spare. That's how well he's doing. Uh, the fight just keeps going, and not to just dive into every piece of dialogue, but Matter is just like, you suck. You, like, you, you blow... <laughs> It's it's not personal. You guys just suck. So just if you died now, the world would honestly probably be better off for you. Not because like in a sinister way. There you go. Do 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 do. No, did you get it? No. I don't know. There's no gross thing on my hands. Uh, he's basically just like, look, this is how it needs to be. And if you don't like the rules, you either become stronger, or you don't. <laughs> like that's just how it is. You know, 
Uh, so Dot is like, hey, fuck you. I don't care. I've got guts. Use a bunch of explosions. Uh, and he's like, oh, man, I, I, those spears, I can't block them. And then Lance shows up, blocks some of the spears, and it's like, oh, they're dividing their defenses between the two of them to keep their remaining water safe. And then we get a flashback uh, to somebody Order must have known who says, anyway, when it comes to passion, I can't lose. I'm going to do what I can for the world and everybody in it. Isn't that the guy from Durandoraron who headbutts things? Mm, no, I hope this character's better. Uh, so, <laughs> Order's just like... Hmm, that a character from Durandoraron? Oh, you're asking for a tall order there. Yeah. He's like, I got, you got four more days. Go over to Finn, who's doing some cooking, and he's just like, ask this man for help if I can be used to anyone, and I've just been cutting fish for three days. And... Caldo Gehenna's like, oh, yes, your technique has gotten quite good. And he just dumps, like, like just an absurd amount of honey. <laughs> like, like an egregious amount over fish. He's like, mmm, delicious. And Finn's just like, wait, this dude is training me in magic, right? Um, then we wrapped up the chapter. Mash has finished his, his you must beat every Dark Souls boss that's slightly stronger than you all the way to level 99. Uh, and Melia Duel's like, you're very impressive. You will now be training with me personally. And I like it because we literally see two panels before, even the panel before we could see she's changed. Like she's in her, you know, fucking uh, like long fucking uh, dress. And then this panel where she's like, you'll be training with me personally. She's put on like a button down. Like, <laughs> and it's a smash. Like, when did you change clothes? <laughs> he was looking at her before she changed clothes. So that's uh, a good question. She also makes note of he might even be able to acquire that technique that even I could not have managed to learn. Uh, and then we just get a montage of all the characters doing their various training. Uh, Including and Finn holding a live fish. Yep. <laughs> and then they just, they, they we time skip forward like three weeks because they're like, hey, now there's only three more days till the eclipse. And we cut over to Innocent Zero saying, they are making preparations for the eclipse, but they are unaware of our plan. A mistake that will cost them their lives. As we see the gigantic army of giants and I forget, like halflings or some <laughs> shit was in there. A whole bunch of stuff is marching upon uh, the city where Mash and all of them live. Yep. I uh, don't really know what's going to go on with this freaking army. Because, uh, I don't know, it's just, it sort of feels like Mashal doesn't really do those kinds of battles I feel like mash is uh, gonna punch them all and they're gonna die or something possibly <laughs> um but it, it is also interesting it's like hey we're gonna see all this training and stuff and then we just see like finn's just cooking fish yeah. it's it's, sure. it's, it's like all right so is he actually training like i don't know i don't know yeah, no idea <laughs> all right uh we're, let's go into the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 62, Armor 1335. It's day one in Yoroshige's army camp, and um, Tokyuki really didn't like wearing armor all day. It's, it, 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 it nearly killed me. Uh, we get this explanation that a full set of armor weighs over 30 kilograms, which, I mean, this is just, you know, like samurai armor, not a full, like, knight suit of armor. But that's you're still talking like 70 pounds, essentially. So um, and uh, Kojiro also brings to the point that like, yeah, and also the army serving under him, they're really seriously unmotivated. And this is demonstrated by them looking outside of the tent. And Yoshiki is like, they're just all picking their noses. Just all of them simultaneously just digging up there with their pinkies all together. 
because they're like, yeah, I mean, we'll obey Yoshige's orders, but uh, we're just like following that runty wet noodle of a kid. So everyone just kind of got bored while marching. And then one guy started picking his nose and a couple of other guys started picking their nose when they saw him. And then 10 guys were doing it. And then a hundred guys were picking their nose. <laughs> so everyone got really bored. They were like, oh, I'll pick my nose too. <laughs> That's how it happened. So, uh, one of the priests brings up like, should we like reveal Tokiyuki's army, uh, identity rather? And Yoroshige thinks to himself, like, I really didn't want to do that. I wanted him to, you know, spend the last month before the confrontation wearing armor, bonding with the party. But there's that one Tengu that's spying on us. We got to be cautious and delay some of our preparations. Uh, And he says, like, look, if you remove the armor, it's not going to be good. It'll seem unseemly for a commander. It'd be unsafe. Uh, But Tokyuki is just beyond this. And he just throws the helmet uh, down. And he says, look, I want to earn the soldier's respect through victory, and I can't do that while wearing this armor. And Fubuki backs him up and says, look, he's going to need to be agile in order to use the techniques we've been practicing. Uh, and, uh, you know, Tokiyuki is really enthusiastic about this. He's like, look, I need to strip down in order to run in comfort. And everyone's like, ah, that one kid, he's st- he's still such a weird pervert because that reputation is still following him, apparently, like three years later. But hey, Shizuka's got a got a, got a solution, as she seem, seemingly always does, which is that she has prepared a special set of armor. Hey, look, it's chainmail. Um, it's essentially, and it's uh, much much lighter. It's much more you know suitable for the kind of stuff that Tokiyuki wants to do. It's much more form fitting, and we get you know some narration saying that yeah, starting this period in Japan, uh, wartime armor became slimmer so that people could maneuver more easily. Makes sense. Tokyuki puts on his new set of armor. He immediately goes outside and he gets the attention of one of the officers and calls to him while like darting around him. And the guy is so shocked by this that while he's still got his finger up his nose, he turns really quickly and um, kills himself by shoving that nose in like all the way to the second knuckle. It's gross. So he Tokyuki says, look. We're going into danger, but you must obey my orders. And once we win, you will never pick your nose again. This is so weird. Uh, and uh, a battle happens, uh, and uh, the the uh, Hoshida's army attacks the Kakushi's army. Uh, Sadamune has expected this, and he sends Ichikawa and reinforcements. Uh, and Yurishige advances in pursuit of Sadamune. Uh, and uh, th- tactics and positioning. Uh, 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 anyway, so 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 Zanzo's like, "There's we're we're going to be attacked from there if we don't do do a thing." So we're going to reposition and so, so, battle tactics. Uh, um, Tokyuki's like, "Hey, let's do this thing." Uh, they get Rei up on a cliff. Tokyuki gets excited about the danger that they're in, uh, and they're like, "All right, here we go." And uh, he got this idea, actually, because when he was playing tag with Yoritsugu, he noticed the there is this one tower. And uh, Shizuku says, yeah, people use that once every every seven years for this really reckless thing, which got Tokyuki really excited. And he gave him the idea for this. So they set a bunch of logs on fire and surf them down the mountain into the army. 
So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they surf burning logs down the side of this cliff face. And everyone's like, what the hell is happening as they charge into Shokan's army? And this is referred to as the flaming holy pillar. Yep. Sounds about right. And Tokyuki lands directly in front of Shokan after they crash into his army. And he says, today I have come as a commander and I will see you defeated. And Shokan's like, oh, this is going to be fun. And that's the end of the chapter. So. Yeah. Um, I would like the chapter more without like some of the weird other moments in it. Uh, yes. But for the most part, it's fine. You know, looks cool at the end. I, I like honestly, the, I like the flaming battle. That seems pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very sudden escalation from everything else where it's like, oh, this is kind of silly. And then just kind of like dull, like positioning discussions. And then it's like, oh, hey, we're surfing giant flaming logs on the side of a cliff. Cool. All right. We'll see how the, how the next chapter goes. Speaking of fire, chapter 1049 of One Piece, the world that should be so Luffy is punching Kaido and uh, he is repelling the giant flame dragon that is surrounding the smaller flame dragon that is Kaido's current form uh, and Kaido actually congratulates Luffy on reaching this point but he says but you cannot change the world and we get a flashback montage to just follow Kaido's early life and how he came to be a warlord told very, very abbreviated, which is what he was super strong from the moment that he was 10 years old, which is 46 years ago, which, you know, timeline matches up, you know, in terms of how old Kaido is now. And, you know, this is kind of where we get start to see like a little bit of those, you know, similarities that Luffy has with a number of his, uh, his villains in this case, you know, Kaido just says like, why the hell should we, you know, obey the, the celestial dragons? Who cares about that? Uh, and as a result of his being an asshole and causing a lot of trouble, he was enlisted in the Navy so they could make use of his strength. And Kaido's like, what the hell this is bullshit? I don't want to do that. So he escapes and he's immediately put on wanted posters and stuff. Uh, and he, you know, goes on adventures for years. He's, Still just 15 when he's kicking everyone's ass, taking over islands and stuff. And he's approached by Whitebeard, who says, hey, you want to be a pirate? Join the Rocks Pirates. So that happened. So he was part of the Rocks Pirates. Uh, the Rocks Pirates are no more. Um, okay. Um, look, there's a lot of information that's crammed into like four pages here. And that's dropping a lot of references to stuff that we've seen some reference to previously, but some that we haven't as well. Um, and uh, we see him meeting, you know, the fortune teller lady that was instrumental in Orochi's takedown of everything. And uh, she says weapons that speak loudest in the world we are what speak loudest in the world we live in. And I've got a deal for you. And that was how we started getting into all the weird weapons production and stuff. And then, um, we cut to, I don't know, five years ago, much, much more recently. He's he's in control of Wano at this point, and he's talking with King, who is not wearing his mask because we've already had that reveal. So it's OK if we see flashbacks <laughs> of him not wearing it. <laughs> and he just says, well, I wonder where that kid heard it, because Yamato dropped Joy Boy's name. 
Apparently, Odin's desire to open the country is meant to welcome Joy Boy. And he says, if he's the same as the man you're waiting for, King, then I think I know who Joy Boy is. Okay. Mm. <laughs> all right. So we, we finish all that up. We cut to the present. The CP0 guy is uh, leaving. He's <laughs> just dashing through. All right, I've done my mission. Bye. <laughs> Hope that Luffy's dead. <laughs> Sounds like everything's going to work out for you guys. Peace out. Uh, Momonosuke is tr- still trying to move the island. And he's like, Luffy's going to win. I know he will. And Yamato's like, move the fucking island. Shut <laughs> dude. <laughs> Uh, and he is desperately trying to move the island. People on the ground are throwing their lanterns up and they're still celebrating uh, the, the festival inside the dome. People are feeling all of the move commotion and also fire is everywhere. And oh, right. Raizo and Jinbei sending out water everywhere to extinguish the flames. Uh, oh, that's a lot of water. I hope that all the people that have eaten devil fruits don't drown. Oh, dear. And then a thing happens. Stuff starts to collapse, I think, is what's happening. A bunch of people are, I guess, brought together by the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yep, uh, all that's happening. Uh, oh, hey, look, Orochi is dead. And He's de- got to be. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And uh, Dendro says, you've been so brave and strong all these years, Lady Hiori. And he hugs her and she cries. Okay, so then, uh, oh man, the island's collapsing. Then the flame clouds are gone. The island's gonna fall. It's gonna fall. Meanwhile, Kaido is saying, while biting on Luffy's giant hand, what kind of world can you create? And Luffy starts to give his answer, and Momonosuke desperately calls out flame clouds, and it works this time. Just a bunch just spread out of his stomach, surround the island. It moves the island out of the way. Clearing the way for Luffy to punch the hell out of Kaido, as Luffy says, I will make a world where my friends can eat as much food as they want. And um, that is a big punch. And uh, he punches Kaido, who goes flying down into the ground. And uh, we see some of the flame lanterns saying, like, I wish that genocide hadn't happened, basically. And as Kaido falls... I watch this one of them that's like, I'd like a kite. <laughs> like, and everyone's like, ignore that one. The rest of them are more plot significant than that one. One, one, of, them, one of them's like, I want a floating flaming lantern. Oh no, I threw this one away. No! <laughs> one of them just says, I'd like Megas XLR to come back for season three. And the one next to it's like, wait, it was two seasons? <laughs> I was like, what? It's like, I think it was. I remember a lot of episodes, so it seems like there was at least two seasons. <laughs> and then like another one after that's like, I feel like there were two finales. <laughs> so I feel like it was two seasons. And then the next one's like, why'd that show get canceled anyway? And then the one next was like, it didn't sell toys, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's like 40 of them in a row. <laughs> it's just a forum thread about Mega Sex <laughs> And then you find out it's just one dude releasing them. It's like, oh, I feel if everyone sees there's a conversation going on, maybe they'll get involved. It's, just, it's the worst grassroots campaign ever. 
You know, no one's going to see it. They're going to fly into the air at one point. Like, <laughs> Yeah, God will see it. <laughs> He's the one with the power to control this. And they just get up to, like, Skype or something. They're like, what the fuck is Mega Sexel? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to make a third season of it, Wiper says. As he <laughs> loads his bazooka. <laughs> Chicks dig dying robots. <laughs> as Kaido falls, he finishes the flashback that last bit where he was having the conversation with King where he says I think I know who Joy Boy is he's the man who shows up to beat me in the future to which King did say like well in that case I suppose we're never going to see him which is, I, I why wouldn't you think that at the time but okay. uh, yeah so Kaido falls uh, and we see people, you know, still celebrating and stuff. And it's kind of like it's almost like they're celebrating the fall of Kaido. Uh, but I don't think they're able to see that. Uh, and Kaido falls and also Momonosuke falls as the as Onigashima is safely placed on the ground in a big old <laughs> in the ocean. And also Luffy is falling because, uh, yeah, that took a lot out of him. That's the end of the chapter. That is seemingly <laughs> seemingly the end of the fight with Kaido. We don't have a graphic yet that says Luffy wins, which has been showing up in like all parts of this entire arc. We'll see if that comes up, but it really feels like we're getting very, very close to the end. If not, we're there now. I feel like we're there now. And now all we have left is next chapter, which I feel like is going to be maybe the more sort of cinematic resolution to everything. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about this chapter? It's good. It the 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 issue is simply just that like I don't know. We've been in Wano for fucking like three years now, yeah. so like at some point I'm just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like yeah. this should be the moment where I'm like, hell yeah! And I think it's like a weird thought I've had. So people have been showing me like various different clips from the anime, which recently got to like chapter one or episode 1000 or something like that. And they've been showing basically the stuff that happened around then. And the animation in one piece right now is fucking incredible. They've been doing awesome stuff. There's one. It's like, I think Crunchyroll titled like Luffy punches Kaido so many times it can't fit in the episode. And at the, right. the end, you see punches going through like the credits and you're like, that's so fucking cool. And I'm like, I will appreciate this moment so much. I feel like when the anime gets there, but this that happened, I'm like, I, I kind of like my instantaneous reaction was like, whew, finally, like, like it's cool. It's just one of those things. I'm like, all right, good. Like kind of like, you know, getting like a doctor's office visit, like done with you're like, all right, cool. Got that done with. And then you move yeah. on. I'm not going to say that this was a bad or disappointing climax for this huge long arc because I feel like if we had had, I don't know, the past year of stuff or whatever had just in general been more uh, engrossing and more entertaining and more thrilling, then this wouldn't have needed to be any better than it currently is. Mm-hmm. Like this was like a, ch- a case where it's like, OK, you had a chance to like if this were just a really crazy, awesome moment all on its own, then I would feel better about this whole thing. But it is not on this moment that everything that has happened leading up to it is a little bit disappointing. And I say that 
as like it's kind of not great in a nutshell but also this is a moment that we have depending on how you look at it been building to up to for like four or five years to 10 to 12 years depending on how you look at you know events and things that were put in place to lead up to this so and you know also like this is like presumably luffy beating one of the emperors of the sea which is you know the first time you will have accomplished that that's a huge thing uh and it's like all right we're there so i want to like it more than i do i know that a lot of people out there are like no i think that this was great it feels like we've you know had a satisfying conclusion to this long journey that we've been on and i'm really happy with it not so much on my end of things unfortunately so yeah all right let's uh let's wrap this up then yes to mvp and And favorite chapter yeah Uh, let's do that i think my chapter of the week i'm going to give i think i'm actually gonna give it to my hero uh i really did like that ending bit and as sort of like a climax it, it did feel pretty awesome i i think if the end panel like the end two page spread hadn't been as strong as it was. It maybe would have happened, but I think after I saw it, I was like, this was a really cool chapter. Hmm. I did quite like it uh, overall, but I'm going to give mine to undead unluck just okay. because it hits the hardest in terms of like, well, okay, so this has happened and we go immediately from the previous chapter of, Oh man, what if rip is the one who takes the ark and said to him, no, that's not happening <laughs> no. rip, <laughs> in this or any world. <laughs> So up there, uh, I'm going to give and 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 follow up to that. I'm going to give my MVP to Andy, who I thought mm. looked really awesome. Andy, I guess slash Victor. I guess Victor's technically the one who fucks him up at the end, but they are two sides of the same coin. And it is really awesome for Andy to just be like, "Yeah, I'm going to become a god of death if it means getting myself into that cool loop stuff. to get uh, Fuko back." You know. Yeah, and I'm going to give mine to Mimin. Because, ah, that's a nice, satisfying conclusion to her little arc as an antagonist. She found herself and had a happy ending and uh, had a positive influence on those around her. Isn't that sweet? And now we're just going right on to like, okay, we've got another confrontation with the Nogami sibling seemingly right over the horizon that we've got to build up to. So, uh, The audience, by the way, agreed with you 100% on Dead Unlock Chapter of the Week and Mamin as Character of the Week. So, All right. Nick... I'm officially dubbing you the voice of the people. Okay. You're welcome. I expected like a celebration or some kind of reaction to that. Mission Yozakura family sucks. Oh, yeah. You are the voice of the people. <laughs> you know exactly what they're thinking. I haven't read it in like a year. I don't know if it's any good now or not. <laughs> I haven't read it in about three months, but I'm going to assume no. I guess only like two months. Sorry. Sorry, you, you can't dummy like the, the people's champion or whatever without me immediately turning my back. <laughs> Guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you all for tuning in. We record the show here Wednesdays on twitch.tv slash T, usually starting between 7.30 and 8 Eastern time in the evenings. Uh, you can check out the show live via that. 
You can also check out our past episodes of Weekly Manga Recap at podbean.com and youtube.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. Also, the IO version is essentially wherever, you know, podcasts can be listened to, including Spotify and iTunes and all those places. But if you check out the video versions on YouTube, you can see the title cards made for us by Steve Mann, Steve Mann Art on Twitter, or generally, like, his art is posted basically everywhere, as long as, like, sexy stuff is allowed on the platform he posts to essentially anyway uh and the opening sequence of the those videos are made by malajek stilets and winsleydale cheddar thank you guys for helping out with that if you want to get involved in the community we have a discord server where you can talk about uh, the chapters when they release each week as well as the recommendations that we're working on you can check out our entire list of recommendations that we've done and that have also been made for us to do in the future add your voice to that say which one you'd like us to recover in the future if you want to also vote for favorite series and mvp as we read off the audience results earlier in the show all that stuff is in a google doc that is maintained by ninja x3i thank you for your help in that we would have forgotten so many things without your help as demonstrated in that episode that we did when there wasn't any manga recently because <laughs> uh for weird wacky episodes like that you can check out patreon.com slash weekly manga recap where we do a lot of Sometimes very vaguely tangentially manga related talks. Uh, we talk, do stuff like as explain my manga, we do tier lists and uh, we have lists of stuff. And uh, there's extra stuff that if you just like the two of us bouncing off each other, making weird wrestling references and manga uh, comparisons and stuff. As XLR tangents, yeah. As XLR tangents, all that kind of stuff can be found on patreon.com slash weekly manga recap for our subscribers. And that should do it. Follow us on Twitter, uh, WMR Podcast, Rolo T, Nick F Time. Yep. All right. That is going to do it. Let's head on out. So, I don't know what to follow up on and, and give a, a goodbye to, but. Is Sadame the ponytail guy's name? And pip, 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 pip. Sure. I don't know. Why not? All right. Maybe I'll. Uh, it does. I'm just. I just happen to be staring at this one page where Maloli mentions that name, and I'm like, "Is that? Is that who she's talking about?" Sure, why not? But it doesn't matter. I'm going to forget by the next chapter, and I'll be yeah. like, "Ponytail guy." Yeah. It's. You know what we should just call him? Kyo. 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 That's to be every character we don't know. We're just like, oh, look at that good old Kyo over there. Kyo. Goodbye, everybody. I know your name, Kyo. <laughs>